Welcome to what are we now, Michael? Are we still uh, Cinema Journal presents or Journal or, of Cinema? And what are we? Existential I it was crisis. The, the Cinematological Society. That's too many syllables. I can't. That, I like that won't syllables. roll off the tongue, especially at the start. You know, I'm just getting warmed up. Yeah. Okay. Try again. Welcome to Acamedia, a podcast which is hosted by me, Christine Becker. And Michael Kackman. Yes, here we are. And we are back. And we might sound like we're in the same room. And Because, even... in fact, we're in the same room. We got the band back together mm-hmm. again. Yay, I'm not in London anymore. Yay. Take your two fried chickens and your white toast. <laughs> so, yeah, here we are. Um, starting a new year, 2018. A new year of Acomedia. A new year of our lives. A new year in South Bend. All this kind of fun stuff. So much to look forward to. Indeed. Yes. And in fact, uh, we're going to tease something at the end of the episode. We want your help. We're trying to open up some new ideas for things to do at Acomedia, one of which will appear in this episode. But at the end of this episode, uh, we're going to ask for your help with a very special segment. And it's not like a sing-along or anything. I mean, it's like it's like, it's like like a real thing. It's good. A sing-along isn't a real thing? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what? We got things okay. we got to get straight here. Okay, we're going to have to straighten this stuff out. Uh, we'll come back to that at the end of the episode. Yeah, but first we've got a, speaking of not knowing what our name is, or actually it's a transition point to a new name because uh, Cinema Journal has been voted upon by its members to receive a new name, the Journal Ugh. The Journal of I Cinema. I like the Journal. <laughs> the Journal. The Journal. Cinema Journal. All right. And it is a whole new animal. Uh, the Journal of Cinema and Media Studies. And the new editor who is overseeing this is Caitlin benson Ollett. And I got to talk to her back when I was in London. Oh, remember I was in London, Michael? Remember that? No, because I was here, so I don't know. Okay, I I was in London. Let me tell you about the semester I spent abroad in London. Oh, do you want to talk about London some more? Yeah, I should tell you all about it. Um, But anyways, while I was in London, I sat down with Caitlin Bensonala. She was there for a conference, and so we got to talk about... The ideas she has for Cinema Journal and uh, some of her thoughts about ways in which she's going to make this a whole new era for the journal, which now has the new name. So, of course, we talked before the vote happened. So this is um, uh, from a little bit ago. But really good conversation here about the future, basically, of Cinema Journal. Very good. And we also have a a segment where we have a couple of folks in the field reflecting on their their working relationship as professor and grad student. Yeah, we decided our listeners would enjoy hearing from, not that you don't love us, because you do love us doing interviews, but... Um, hearing some other voices and other uh, you know perspectives, and so we paired up a grad student, or excuse me, a former grad student, with their grad stu- uh, school mentor, and so that's Elisa Perrin and Charlotte Howell, and they have a conversation about that relationship, professor grad student relationship. Some good stuff there. Well, should we uh, kick things off by uh, listening to your conversation with Caitlin? Let's do it. 
Caitlin Benson-Allett is Associate Professor of English and Film and Media Studies at Georgetown University. She is the author of Killer Tapes and Shattered Screens, Video Spectatorship from VHS to File Sharing, which came out in 2013 from University of California Press, and she also wrote Remote Control from Bloomsbury Press in January 2015. She is the editor of Cinema Journal, or the upcoming Journal of Cinema and Media Studies, and a regular columnist and contributing editor at Film Quarterly. I am here with Caitlin Benson-Allett. Hi. Welcome to Acamedia. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And we're sitting in a very thematically perfect place right now. We're in the Picture House Central movie theater in the members bar, so we feel very cinematic right now. And very exclusive. Yes. Uh, and you're going to go see Death of Stalin. Yay! So, yeah. We'll have to follow up with you and see what All you right. thought. Um, so we're here, though, to chat about Cinema Journal, which you are, uh, you've already embarked uh-huh. on the no- journey. Yes. November 1, Will gently handed the reins over, so I'm reading through uh, the articles for uh, issue 57-4 right now, mm-hmm. and um, it's a big, exciting step for me. Yeah, this is great. It's, it's, well, it's really great to be able to talk to you at the start of this journey. Of course, I did an interview like this with Will five years ago, and we just did a follow-up interview. So um, I'll talk to you now, and then we'll chat again in five years from now. Um, But let's start even earlier than now, which is the uh, moment you decided you did want to apply for this uh, very prestigious position. So what made you want to take this on? So um, when I saw the call go out initially, I thought, oh my goodness, that sounds fabulous, but there's no way... I could be ready for that yet. That has to be something that people take on when they're full professors, they have three books, they're, you know, like internationally famous like Will. I'm just not there in my career yet. And then a couple of friends, sort of older mentors in the field, said, No, I think you should I think you should think about this. Hmm. You know, this is um, it's a huge service to the institution, to SCMS, um, and it's also a huge opportunity um, for someone who has a vision of where they see the field moving, or the fields, right, because we're Mm -hmm. held together by an ampersand, um, and has a vision for for how they want to unite those fields, or see those fields uniting. Right. Well, speaking of that vision, then, that's the next question I'd like to ask you, then. What are you hoping to bring to Cinema Journal with that vision? What do you want to make sure you keep the same? What are you looking to change? So one of the things that I hope uh, qualifies me um, to be the editor of the Journal of the Society for Cinema and Media Studies is that um, while I'm a film scholar, I am most interested in film on other media platforms, right? My first book, Killer Tapes and Shattered Screens, looks at movies, but movies on VHS, on DVD, online, on torrent boards. And so I've never really been a cinema scholar, but I'm also not a media scholar. And so I'm hoping that I'm, I'm sitting in the right place of the Venn diagram to honor the history of Cinema Journal in film studies, but also think about how it can be a more inclusive place for other branches of the field, for other media, kinds of media studies. So that was something that also really came home to me in the survey, um, was that a lot of people mentioned that they weren't sending their work to Cinema Journal, even though they were members of SCMS, 
because they don't work on cinema. So mm -hmm. if they're working on history of radio or history of television, they were telling me, why would I send that article to a place called Cinema Journal? Mm -hmm. And um, I'd been afraid that that was the case. And when I saw it in the survey, I was like, okay, that's where I want to make my intervention. This is the journal for the members of SCMS, and that means all the members of SCMS. Right, and Will had mentioned there is going to be at least a proposal for the name change then, to kind of literally put that on the cover. Yes. That, is, that the, the journal's making that change. Yes, so um, this is something, again, that was a hunch of mine, that the name Cinema Journal, while it represented the significance and the history of this publication in the field, might also come across as exclusionary, um, especially to younger members of SCMS for whom it has always been SCMS, not SCS. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine, I mean, this, is, this includes me, right? I joined after it had become SCMS. And so I was like, if we're cinema and media, why does the journal only say media? Mm -hmm. So I wanted to use the survey to see if anyone else had asked that question, was asking that question. And the majority of respondents in the survey suggested that yes, they would like to see a name change. That doesn't mean it's going to happen by fiat though. So we have a plan that we're slowly rolling out to make sure that there are long comment periods, both on a discussion forum on the STMS website, hmm. and then in real time with me on Facebook Live. Oh, wow. So we can really talk out the pros and cons of what a name change would represent mm -hmm. before we hold an online referendum, which will be in January 2018. Okay, wow, and that sounds interesting. That's also to me a sort of a stepping up of Cinema Journal's use of interactivity. Um, yeah. And so I guess then, then kind of a subset to that question will be um, the online space, which, you know, of course, I've um, been working on that and sort of created some 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 bits that I feel like got us started. But one reason I wanted to or was looking forward to passing on the reins to someone else was that I think you need some new ideas to take it to the next level. So any mm -hmm. thoughts about that, about the online space? Yeah. So um, Julia Himberg is our new associate online editor. So I don't want to put any words in her mouth, um, but she and our production editor, Scott Richmond, have had a lot of fabulous ideas about how to improve the infrastructure mm -hmm. so that uh, there's greater integration between the print content and the online content. Mm -hmm. um, so they're referring back to one another and sending readers across. Yeah. Um, I think that right now, just the way the SCMS website is set up, you have a lot of separate pages, mm -hmm. and it's a little bit difficult to click between them. So um, we're going to be working with a number of options. They're already investigating a number of options to try to create a more cohesive space for this umbrella yeah. that is Cinema Journal now. Yeah. And by the way, you and Will just did <laughs> such an awesome job there, and we're so excited to, to build on it. Well, that's the one dream we had that was never fulfilled, was we wanted a, a bespoke website for Cinema Journal, and, and Will even, I remember one of our first meetings, which was in a pub here in London, he had a piece of paper and he wrote out this design that it would be these, because he referred to, you know, thereafter the online extras as satellites, and so mm -hmm. he had this drawing of, he wanted this website where you would have all these satellites that would all be together, and for various reasons, we won't bore people going into them, it just never worked out, um, and so I think that's something really necessary to have that, um, that kind of central space where 
someone knows they can go there and see all this content. And like you said, it kind of feeds between the print and online. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, Scott and Julia are really going to leave no stone unturned to figure out how we can do that on the SCMS website or whether it needs to be a bespoke website, Mm -hmm. in which case, how can we make some content available, you know, broadly open access and other content has to live behind a paywall for publication reasons. Right, yeah, that's another issue with especially whatever, you know, with UT Press, they had concerns about how much are we going to let people have for free, which then gets into complicated issues, especially about cost of publishing and yeah. and what we're asking people to pay these days. So there's, um, so there's sort of a, a lot of challenges ahead because it's great yeah. ideas and then implementing those. Um, you mentioned a couple of others you're working with. Are there any other, uh, any other folks on your team that you wanted to, to give a shout out to who will be helping you along the way? Yeah, absolutely. So every time there's a new editor, there is a whole new masthead team that comes in with them. So I already mentioned um, Scott and Julia. Jeff Many is my um, associate editor. We met at um, the School for Criticism and Theory back when we were both graduate students and um, yeah drinking cheap beer and talking about (laughs) philosophy in Ithaca New York and um, so it's great how the longer you're in this field you get opportunities to to renew connections with people who you know you met at a party at once upon a time and it turns out that person is going to play a huge role in your career Mm. it's you know serendipitous and it's awesome um we have two fantastic assistant editors, Nada Alexander and Sarah Bakerman. Um, neither of them is at Georgetown. One of the things that I wanted to do that was part of my proposal to be editor was to make the assistant editorships open um, because I don't have a doctoral program at my institution. I wasn't limited to creating assistant editors at my school. So instead I could say, why is that always a bonbon that goes to the editor? Let's, let's make this you know, another resource for the SCMS graduate student membership. Um, so they both applied and had fabulous applications and I'm really happy to be working with them. And we have a fabulous uh, professor coming in as our associate book review editor, uh, Laura Isabel Serna at USC. And one of uh, Laura's ideas was to separate the book reviews from the in-focus. Will had them thematically paired. And we became concerned that there were books that might be falling through the cracks if the in-focuses that were being proposed never went into a a particular arena. So Laura is broadening the scope of what we might want to consider for the book reviews for Cinema Journal. And then I have to give a shout out to Elizabeth Crowley Weber, who is our assistant manuscript editor. Uh, She used to be um, on the editorial staff at the University of Georgia Press, and she is already saving my butt on a (laughs) weekly basis. It's good to start out that way. Right? Have have a safety net there. And you mentioned the survey, the the, uh, Cinema Journal survey that people filled out. Could you say a little bit more about that, what kind of responses you got, and what you're going to do with that information? Absolutely. So when you apply to be editor of Cinema Journal, you submit your own statement of vision for what you'd like to see happen to the journal, the improvements you'd like to make to the journal during your tenure as editor. But I didn't want my approach to Cinema Journal to be entirely based on my experience in the field. I wanted to get 
feedback on the journal from as much of the membership as I possibly could. And we had um, about 450 people reply to our survey. So thank you all, I believe it is 452 of you, mm. who took the time to take the survey. And it was incredibly helpful for me because there were issues people brought up that I hadn't thought of um, before, such as um, whether or not they um, knew where their article was in the review process and could they write to the editor, which editor should they write to if they wanted to check in. And other things that I thought might have been an issue and I, I got to hear from both sides of the spectrum, all sides of the spectrum, as I was going through the survey responses. So I really wanted to make sure that I started editing Cinema Journal by asking the members of SCMS what needed to happen to Cinema Journal, because this isn't an elected position, or rather I was elected by the executive board of SCMS, but not a direct election by the membership. So I wanted to make sure that the membership had a voice in all of the plans that I was making for the journal. Mm -hmm. That's a huge response, 400. I mean, it's hard to get the, hard. the membership to, to, you know, act on a lot of that. And that sounds like a really large number. Yeah. Me, so. Yeah. It was about 80 single-spaced pages of oh responses <laughs> in the end, which was fabulous. Um, and so just one example, one of the things that we heard from people is that they really needed um, the reviews to go faster mm. in order to make um, submitting to Cinema Journal a viable experience and a positive experience. So we've gotten approved by the executive board of SCMS to move over to a submissions manager software called Submittable, mm -hmm. which is going to expedite the review process for us. And I'm hoping um, we'll shave valuable months off of the, the review time mm -hmm. for our authors. Great, that's good news. Yeah, I'm excited. Well, I also want to ask a... Uh, I started to say personal question, it's still in the professional realm, but I'm curious where you see then the Cinema Journal workload fitting into your academic workload in general. Um, do you get course relief for this? Um, how are you going to make time for what, you know, just talk to Will about what an enormous um, amount of work it is to, to do. So how are you going to carve out space in your life for yeah. the, the job? I am getting a course release and um, some extra um, teaching assistance. Georgetown has been incredibly supportive. Uh, when I pitched this editorship to my dean to ask for the, the support to make this possible, he immediately recognized, after I gave him some stats, how... Um, how important Cinema Journal is to its field. And he was really happy for Georgetown to be able to, to support that mission and to, to bring that to campus and make it a resource for my colleagues. Um, how I'm going to balance things in a day-to-day -day way uh, <laughs> remains to be seen. When I was applying for this position, I talked to Will and to Heather Hendershot, and uh, Heather mentioned... Um, this position applies to people who already self-identify as workaholics. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> so I think that is the answer. I would have been doing something obsessively, and right. I'm lucky that the something gets to be Cinema Journal. That's nice. And it's your, your obsession then serves the rest of the SCMS community then. Yes, yes. All right. Well, one last question. I'm curious how you're feeling at the start here. Like, what are you most excited about tackling this job? And then what are you most kind of wary of and 
and concerned about going forward? Sure. So the thing I'm most excited about is working with the authors. Um, as I mentioned, I'm just this week starting to do um, the editor's review of issue 57.4. And, um, and that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted this job because I have enjoyed guest editing special issues of Journal of Visual Culture and Feminist Media Histories. And I edited and in focus uh, for Cinema Journal in the past. And I loved the process of reading other scholars' manuscripts and getting to ask the questions that help them go even further with their ideas. So I thought if I get to do that for the next five years, that's only going to enrich my life. I am more trepidatious. Gosh. Um, Okay, one thing I'm trepidatious about right now is seeking out reviewers for mm -hmm. articles. Mm -hmm. um, I know that whenever I've gotten requests, I always want to do it. I have that impulse to be generous. And then I look at my calendar and I'm like, how can I add even one more thing without pulling out my hair? Mm. So, um, so I, I, I have that memory at the forefront of my mind mm -hmm. while I am now reaching out to a lot of overburdened people right before the holidays right. and saying, could you do me a favor, please? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the thing. It's not just your job. It then becomes the jobs of everyone you have to to get into the boat to make this thing float. To yeah. Be a metaphor, but yes. yeah. And this is how I am introducing myself, I guess, to a lot of um, scholars whose work I've long admired, but mm. haven't had a personal relationship with mm -hmm. before. So um, I'm. We decided that um, I, as the editor, should be the one to to reach out and ask reviewers if they could uh, read an article for us. So I'm really delighted that I get to write to all of these people who mm -hmm. I hold in such high esteem. But then it is in a weird way, awkward to say, yeah. hey, you haven't met me. Mm. My journal would really like you to review. Da, 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 da. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, listeners out there, if Caitlin gets in touch with you, help her out. Please. Get, please. Make, make a spot in your calendar to help her You're out. You're not even helping me out. You're helping SCMS out. Hopefully, Thousands of our members will agree to review articles during the time that I'm editing this journal. Right. And if you have submitted to Cinema Journal in the past, please consider reviewing for us in the future. Um, we would really like to hear from you about your thoughts of what the review experience was like for you, but then you can also pay it forward and make sure it's as good or better for somebody else. All right, well, that's a fantastic note to close on. And just, uh, so you said 57.4, that'll be your first issue? That will be my first issue, yes. When is, uh, what time of year is that one coming out next year? Uh, that will be summer 2018. Okay, summer 2018, we'll be yeah. looking for it. Thank you very much, Chris. All right, thanks so much. All right, thanks for doing that interview, Chris. Yeah, it was a fun conversation, and especially my position departing as online editor. It's really fun to see what's going to come next in the cinema journal world. Yeah, it'll be good to to have some some new folks there. I was thinking about the way that names always lag, right? You know, they always mm. kind of lag be, lag behind. And I was thinking about the fact that what we're doing is continuing to be called a podcast, mm -hmm. though the device for which podcasts uh, from which podcasts got their name doesn't really even exist for most users anymore. Hmm. Um, right? The I mean, iPod, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a 
technology that has been sort of subsumed within you know, mobile phones and other kinds of devices and that kind of thing. And But, but of course, we still, like, call it a podcast because right. that, of course, is what it is. Yeah. So there's always kind of a, an ongoing negotiation of, of, yeah. of naming and, and how you understand a particular technology or a particular medium. Or, like, the save icon being a floppy disk and floppy disks don't exist anymore. Right, and of course, you know, many of our students don't even recognize that as a, as a meaningful piece of information. Yeah. But we hang on to those things, right? We hang on to those, uh, you know, the... Con- because we love the cinematology. Right. The cinematantamanum animal. Yeah. We love exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because I'm a, I'm a journal of, of habit. <laughs> right. Well, we can assure you the name Acamedia, for better or worse, is staying on. It's and, sufficiently vague that I think it's just going to last forever. Right. Yeah. And we should also mention we constantly get emails meant for a different Acamedia. There's some company in the UK called Acamedia, and we get almost sometimes threatening emails about you haven't paid us or, you know, four thousand pounds was accidentally deposited in your account. Please reply. And like, that's not us. No, so, it's not. And, but you could keep sending the checks. Mm-hmm. The checks are most welcome. Um, and, you know, Small denomination bills are also welcome. Oh, great. So now we're, now we're going to actually really hear from lawyers. Because I told the last guy, like, we don't have an account. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so thanks, Michael. I okay. look forward to hearing no, from whoever that job. is. All right. Well, let's carry on then before we get sued out of existence. And uh, you're going to get to hear from Elisa Perrin and Charlotte Howell here. And so Charlotte uh, went to graduate school under Elisa in two different schools, Georgia State and Texas. And here they get a really great conversation about the evolution of their relationship. And then they talk about some really great points of advice about the mentorship relationship. Let's give it a listen. Elisa Perrin is an associate professor in the Department of Radio, TV, Film at the University of Texas at Austin. Her research and teaching interests include television studies, media industry studies, U.S. film and television history, and media convergence. Her current book project is The American Comic Book Industry and Hollywood, co-authored with Gregory Steyer for BFI's International Screen Industries series. She's a co-founder and member of the Editorial Collective for Media Industries, an online peer-reviewed open-access journal. And she was previously at Georgia State University, where she served as coordinating editor for In Media Res, an online project experimenting with collaborative multimodal forms of scholarship. She's also the organizer of Media Industry Conversations, a speaker series through which industry professionals discuss today's evolving media landscape and which you can listen to via podcast. And Elisa is in conversation here with her former graduate student, Charlotte E. Howell, who earned her PhD in media studies uh, from Texas at Austin in the summer of 2016. Her work has been published in Cinema Journal, issue 57.1, which was recently out, as well as the Journal of Religion, Media, and Digital Culture, and in the anthology Supernatural, Humanity, and the Soul, On the Highway to Hell and Back. Her research interests include religion and television, broadcast history, production studies, cultural studies, and genre studies. So I'm Charlotte Howell. And I'm Elisa Perrin. And we're going to talk a little bit about our ever-evolving relationship as I was Elisa's uh, former advisee, although never really stop taking her advice. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've known each other now for, gosh, when did you come to Georgia State? 2011. Yeah, but we've known each other longer. So I met you, I think it was at Flow 2010, maybe. But 
part of the reason why I chose to go to Georgia State following my kind of master's at UT was because you were there and I wanted to work with you at in media res as well as learn more about media industry studies from you. In media res, I'm, I'm sure most of the people listening are pretty well familiar with, but publishes basically every week. So it's a fairly steady workflow and collaborative process with a fairly large team still at Georgia State now run by Ethan Tussey instead. Yeah, I definitely very quickly said, oh, no, this is who I want to work with for long term, not just in media res, but like this is someone who I can learn about all aspects of uh, working in academia and being a professor from. Um, And I feel like, I think I asked you fairly awkwardly somewhere in that second semester. I was like, will you be my advisor? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I knew, you know, I'd heard very good things about you from UT and we'd met up when we were recruiting and all of that sort of stuff. So I was thrilled that you ended up coming to Georgia State and uh, that we were able to kind of develop a working relationship, as you noted, not only with in class, but through in media res and then subsequent venture. Certainly our relationship was a bit unconventional because of my own movement from Georgia State to Texas. Was that during your third year? Yeah, it was after I had um, been at Georgia State for two years. Um, And so I did all my coursework at Georgia State. And luckily with both working with you in In Media Res, and then I was also um, the grad student worker on those first years of Media Industries Journal. Thank goodness you were (laughs) able to make the case that like I was, because of the journal in large part, and my work with you, that I was it was worthwhile for me to come back with you to yeah. <laughs> UT Austin, um, which, and I'm just grateful and feel incredibly lucky about everything that happened around that, both that Georgia State and UT Austin was kind enough to bring me back in. And uh, so my third year started at UT Austin. <laughs> right, right. And so I think that uh, our working relationship is somewhat idiosyncratic because of movement, but it does reflect, I think, more largely what I view of the mentor-mentee relationship, which is, of course, partly research-based and scholarship in training, but also to me, it's so important to educate people and engage with grad students throughout like the service teaching and research dimensions of being a faculty member so that they can get the sort of broader purview of what that means to, to be an academic writ large. And you certainly experienced that. Yes. And I'm very grateful for it because, because I approached my, I, I thought of myself as an apprentice and that the advisor advisee relationship was an apprenticeship. And that's not just because, you know, getting a PhD, you basically work for room and board. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to learn, I wanted to grow as a scholar. Um, and I could definitely do that with you and expand my kind of interest into media industries, research and production studies. Um, but I also wanted someone who would take me under their wing and show me like the full range of 
what it means to be a professor. Cause I knew, you know, my, my mother is an academic. And so mm-hmm. I knew how much time outside of both the classroom and actually kind of doing research was actually a part of the thing. So I wanted to know what that looked like, you know, aside from just the couple of days when I was a kid and I'd go to my mom's college. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, it's just amazing to sort of track all the different ways that we work together. Uh, Whether you were my TA, I know, for history of radio and TV, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And your role with that was so important to me because uh, you developed an assignment that I incorporated and has subsequently been incorporated into our core intro history course, your everything but the paper assignment, which was fabulous. (laughs) Which of course I also developed from something that my, um, my peer, my colleague uh, in graduate school, Colleen Montgomery developed for her history of film course. Oh, okay. That's great. Yeah. And, and your dissertation, maybe uh, you can talk about how that evolved through your time uh, and our relationship. Yes, definitely. I am one of the few grad students that I've talked to who at least kind of landed on my topic pretty early. Um, I knew from fairly early on that I wanted to tackle somehow the intersection of religion, spirituality, and TV. And I came to you in particular as my advisor because I wanted to ground it in kind of the real world experience of people who were making those shows. And so I started, you know, the more I read in that area, the more I took classes with you about media industries, the more I realized what my approach would be. And it really kind of solidified, I guess it was the summer between my first and second year at Georgia State, when you so kindly let me do an independent study on production studies with you. And the paper I wrote for that was in large part, my I saw it as a way to practice that new to me methodology um, of doing interviews and thinking about production cultures and situating kind of the creation of these texts in a very kind of particular um, historic history and uh, kind of social and cultural moment. And, you know, what turn what I thought kind of started out as practice for a methodology that I was going to plan to use for the larger dissertation project in true form that nothing you do is kind of just for practice. That, that paper eventually became my article that was most recently published in Cinema Journal, um, tracking the production culture of this tiny, uh, odd, amazing uh, cable access TV show in early 80s Atlanta. Yeah, that was great. I mean, I remember you working on it and just mentioning Paul had been involved early on and it was just such a hidden local history that was fascinating for me to watch you dig into. Um, But that initial paper gave me the confidence to kind of go forward as well as your advice and um, your continued kind of help uh, to connect me with people who would connect me with people who would connect me with people to eventually get um, the about two dozen interviews I got for my dissertation project. 
Well, thanks. And I think, you know, one of the one of the things that I enjoy where I do see the sort of intersections of service and teaching and reach coming in through our relationship is how you were able to take these conversations or your own dissertation project and develop them, try them out in different fora, you know, whether in the classroom with your self-designed course or in the flow conference that we worked together on as well. You were a lead organizer and I was a faculty supervisor for it. And I think you'd organized a panel related to your dissertation topic, if I'm not mistaken. And even just developing uh, for your colloquium talk that you gave, working back and forth on that, which uh, UT has a sort of every other week colloquium that grad students engage in presenting. And, and that was the foundation for a practice job talk for you, if I remember that. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I'm also very grateful I had so many different opportunities to practice that because it needed a great deal of honing <laughs> from the first time to the last. And your advice, but not just your advice. One of the great things I, I feel like about uh, our relationship is that you knew exactly kind of what I was doing and what I needed and could help me. But you would also often point me to people who could also help me and facilitate even more connections with, you know, like Tom Schatz and Suzanne Scott helped me so much uh, with the evolution of that uh, job talk. And their help was invaluable. And, you know, uh, Cindy McCreary helped me out a lot in contacting people working in the industry and also thinking through the process of TV screenwriting and what that means and how that affected my research. And bringing me in on Media Industries Journal also connected me to a wealth of um, scholars who I could go up to at conferences and say, oh, Hi, Michelle Helms, you may remember me from, you know, the emails we sent for the Media Industries Journal or Miranda Banks, Elisa Perrin told me to come talk to you. Congratulations on your most recent article. And also here's what I'm doing. And thank you very much for your kind words Um, and things like that, which was, you know, for all the things that you did directly for me, also being able to say I'm Elisa Perrin's advisee and knowing that there were so many people out there in the field who kind of knew you and that you had connected with and would allow me to kind of connect with them was also a really kind of big advantage, not just in kind of thinking through this field and this community of, you know, media scholars, but also definitely on the job market. Yeah, well, you're very sweet. Thank you. And you certainly have done astoundingly well on your own in terms of taking initiative and networking effectively. And, but I think it's a testament to the value of doing these kinds of collaborative initiatives. Yes, graduate students, it's great to be publishing and doing research projects and developing a consistent scholarly profile. But if you're not part of a larger sort of community of collaboration with faculty and grad students, then you're missing out on a lot. And I I think that's one reason that I've been so driven to, you know, whether it's helping to launch the Media Industries Journal, which has been so productive and being involved with working with a team of grad students on the Flow Conference, or I can't even think of how many different ventures that we've participated in in various capacities. It's been incredibly productive. Yeah. Uh, just to pivot a little bit, I, I do think that it's it's been striking to watch your evolution. And I'm curious now that you have launched your own career as an assistant professor, what do you think you've brought with you 
at mentoring grad students and as, and as you move into the next stage of your own career? Well, I, first and foremost, I, I try to be very honest and transparent with my grad students. I try and give them as much of a perspective following your example, give them as much a perspective of all that I do. And I just have master's students as advisees, mm-hmm. um, at BU. So a lot of it is me trying to kind of give them a sense of what's at the other end of a PhD, or at least one of the options, <laughs> if mm-hmm. they choose to go a traditional academic route. Um, I am very kind of open about my experience in the PhD program. And, you know, I tell every single grad student I have, when you're looking for an advisor, alignment of research interest is great. But Find someone who will kind of give you the apprenticeship you need, that will give you the job training that you need more than anything else. Like find someone that you can work with well for an extended period of time. That's going to help you on the end. So that, of course, is advice I take directly from our relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and Yeah, it's funny listening because I feel like you're echoing my own sentiments. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did get to a certain point in... Uh, you know, towards the end there of my PhD stuff where I would write a sentence, like two sentences after you had made a comment that said almost the exact same thing. <laughs> um, I remember a lot of those comments in my dissertation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Learn to think like your advisor or at least to anticipate what they will say so that you have an argument against why they want what they want. <laughs> <laughs> or just be like, oh yeah, no, Elisa's right. <laughs> But yeah, so that's a lot of, of what I take. And also for my advisees, I honestly just acknowledge how difficult graduate school can be um, and give them a place to talk about the finding the balance. Um, and I felt like you often gave that that space to me. And so I try and pass it forward. Well, thanks. Yeah. And I mean, to me, I continually just try to convey, and you indicated this already to some extent, what a challenging landscape it is (laughs) to get a PhD and then find a job, any job, not just a research job, which is not necessarily something everyone should even have, even if that's an option for them, right? Yeah. And always drives me nuts when our culture, certain cultures gear people towards very specific trajectories, uh, which may not be the best for them. And maybe it's just because my own work is about studying institutions and industry. And, and you took my media industry seminar, I know, but I'm always just trying to point to the connections between the quote unquote academic industry and the media industries and people being cognizant of those linkages and not having a romanticized notion of what they're going into. (laughs) So I'm sure you didn't get a lot of romance. (laughs) No, no, no. And I try not to give out much romance. I do a lot of like blunt talk Mm -hmm. and, you know, I will often say like you to some of my advisees, I'll say, you know, if you're on the fence about getting a PhD, you probably shouldn't get a PhD. Yeah. Um, You know, it's one of those things that, I feel very, very strongly that you should feel that the kind of entire 
realm of academia is kind of a vocational calling because you need something to really push you, push your passion to ground you in all the stumbling blocks and all the headaches and all the debt (laughs) that comes with, you know, getting a PhD. And then that's just the process. And then it's on the other side where for as good as you are, as talented as you are, as strong as you are in kind of making connections and putting yourself out there and networking, so much of getting a job after the PhD just comes down to luck and timing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can't plan for that. Yeah, this is very true. I mean, I think that you are a glowing success story of the trajectory one can take and the kinds of successes one can meet with, but so much is luck and timing, right? Uh, yeah. And, but on the same token, the more we demystify the process these days, and also I think the more that people understand that it's okay to not pursue a research opportunity or trajectory, or it's okay to decide after getting your MA that in fact, this was great, but these, there's other possibilities and ways I can exploit this. That's okay. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Uh, (laughs) No surprise there. Subtitle of this little conversation charlotte says i agree (laughs) and elisa says i agree right and maybe that would be the for us to wrap this up since uh we've we've covered a lot of terrain yeah i think so Well, I really enjoyed hearing that conversation, and we hope in 2018 to give you more of that kind of content, some different configurations of interviews, different groups of people talking. So uh, send us ideas you have. If you have people you want to pair up, if you have someone you want to interview, let us know at info at aca-media.org. Oh, that's good. I think you got it first try. It was so close. Oh, right. No. Uh, don't email us about your bills or incorrect billing or anything like that. We can't help you with that. Unmarked, but unmarked cash. Unmarked cash. That's that's what Michael's looking for. So address that one, you know, subject heading for Michael. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of actually getting contributions from our oh, listeners. This is good. This is good. Okay. This is good. Yeah. All right. All right. We're excited about this. This idea came up recently. There was the second, um, and maybe we can call this now the second annual Women's March that happened recently, and it reminded me of the Acamedia episode we did last year where I interviewed uh, four or five activists, media studies activists, and I wanted to revisit that idea of basically what we're all doing in whatever you want to call this era, the Trump era, um, 2018, whatever, um, and kind of revisit what we're doing and how we're doing our jobs in this new era. And I thought especially I'm very interested in the classroom, what might be happening in pedagogy, in individual moments with students, um, how you're dealing with teaching, any issues tied to Trump, to politics, to deregulation, to uh, media literacy. How are you dealing with those challenges in your classrooms? What are success stories? What are failures? What are concerns? And from any perspective, uh, any political perspective. And so, you know, we thought rather than me picking out three or four people and just hearing their stories, we want to hear from a wide range of people. And so we're going to invite you to upload your recordings of your story, your tale, your advice, your suggestions. 
Yeah, and so you can consider this a very wide-open invitation. If you want to talk about electoral politics kinds of things that come up, if you want to talk about the FCC, if you want to talk about Me Too and how you teach uh, indie Hollywood, take a take whatever kind of swing at that uh, you'd like. And if you have a, a tip or a question or a frustration or something really exciting that you'd like to share, uh, just fire up your, your phone and record a few minutes two or three minutes and share it with us. Yeah, and so we're going to create a Dropbox folder and you would be able to go to this link and upload your audio content. So a file, like as Michael said, you can record to your phone and upload that file to this link and we'll distribute that on our website and via our social media so you can find that. Um, we also... Um, are very open if you want to stay anonymous. We recognize especially anything in the classroom, and especially if anyone's a grad student or pre-tenure, there could be delicate issues there. So number one, you can be anonymous. You can upload the content and not tell us who you are. If you even want us to manipulate your voice in some way, if you're concerned about that, Todd? If you want to talk like this, you can. Bain has suddenly entered the room. Uh, yeah, Todd can, can uh, our, our producer Todd Thompson has ways of, of distorting your voice. Or if you like want to sound like Joe Pesci or something. That's true. I'm sure yeah, he you could can do, that. do you could do a Joe Pesci impression if you want to, yeah. like as if Joe Pesci was teaching during the Trump era. How would he handle it? Yeah, or like uh, um, you know, I have I have fairly deep frustrations, but also affection for um, transparent. Mm-hmm. You know, Judith Light's character in the in the ah. last season has you know decided she's like you know Guido or something. Really? So, yeah, she has a she kind of slips in and out of this. <laughs> Um, kind of mafioso persona. Okay. So you could do that. You know, that could be, yeah. Or like, or Scaramucci, right? If you want to do a mooch impression and talk about, yeah. you know, there the endless we possibilities. Can, we can actually, now I don't mean to speak for Todd, but I'm going to. Okay. I think we could probably just put your voice through the moochifier. The moochifier. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We should do that. We should, I'm, we I'm not sure how now. that's done, but now, but now... <laughs> Consider that to be a challenge. I love the gauntlet now, has been laid down. Our last few episodes, we just say, like, hey, Todd can do this thing. And Todd's like, uh, what? What do I have to do? So we've given him a new new Sorry, challenge. Buddy. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're kind of being funny at this point now. But we're serious about really wanting to uh, cover a lot of different perspectives and types of courses and types of um, angles on teaching. And basically, for short, teaching in the Trump era and the challenges that might bring. So... We really welcome your stuff, and we will package that all together, and that'll be a segment, hopefully, in the next episode. Indeed it will. All right. Um, so this is probably about the time when, when I would ask you how you're enjoying London. And, you know, uh, I'm enjoying South Bend a Isn't lot. it great? It's, Man, South Bend, it's I love good. the snow. I love it when it's 25 degrees. I like the snow when it's kind of old. Uh, I do say, you know, it is nice to get out, like, my favorite boots and favorite hat. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's the best we can hold on to, that I got my cool boots on. Come on, so, it's good. Yeah. It's good. It is. Life is good. Yep. All right. We will wrap up this little party. And note that Acomedia is produced with the support of ISLA at the University of Notre Dame, as well as the Department of Communication at Denison University. And we also have the support of the Society for Cinema and Media Studies, so thank you to SEMS. And its journal. Thank you, Journal of Things. Yeah, I think that's you. Caitlin's going to be very cranky about Journal that. of Media, etc. Um, we are also very grateful to our collaborating journals, uh, Todd Thompson, who is going to uh, invent a moochifier, apparently, in the next few weeks. So that's pretty great. 
uh, Bill Kirkpatrick down at Denison University. And also Joel Neville Anderson at University of Rochester and Stephanie Brown at University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana. We're also grateful to Caitlin Benson-Allett, both for uh, taking some time to talk to us for the interview and also allowing us to... um, To continue existing, yeah. yeah, She could have shut us down. She's taken over. With all of this disparagement, you never know what might happen. That's true. We'll see. We hope we'll be back next next month. We'll see what she says. Um, And then also thanks to Elisa Perrin and Charlotte Howell for having a really fun conversation and letting us eavesdrop. Because eavesdropping is what we like to do. Right. All right. Thanks for listening. And uh, stay warm because the days are getting longer and it's getting better out there by the day. By the day. Days are getting longer. Month is getting shorter. So. Good combo. SEMS is right around the corner. Thank <laughs> you.